0: Welcome to the 84th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host Randy Winograd. In this edition we will focus on Major League Baseball including the start of playoff action and final statistical leaders now that the season is over. Let's jump right in with a look at the start of Major League Baseball playoff action beginning with the National League wild card where the Dodgers beat the Cardinals 3-1.
1: In this game, you had a very uh, a very abbreviated version of a pitcher's duel where both pitchers gave up one earned run. Uh, Max Scherzer in four and a third's innings and uh, Adam Wainwright in five and a third's. But then you had the Cardinals bullpen, who is not necessarily notorious, but definitely it is a well-known thing among the baseball world that that's probably one of the weaker bullpens going into the postseason uh, out of really any team. And the Dodgers ended up exploiting that behind their strong bullpen Who gave up just two hits and one walk, I believe In the entire uh, four and two-thirds that they covered to relieve Max Scherzer Uh, And other than that, they gave up nothing And then the very end of the game, you had Albert Pujols And you had Steven Souza Jr. Both hit very hard balls right to center field uh, Off of TJ McFarland And then all of a sudden you, he walks Bellinger Bellinger is very, very patient He stole two bases in this game Off of off of Yadier Molina Which is very, very surprising uh, And then he stole a base in, On the, I believe, the 1-1 pitch uh, With Chris Taylor up In the bottom of the ninth, two outs And a tied game At 1-1 one one on the 1-1 one, one pitch He stole on the 2-1 pitch After that pitch went in the dirt And Molina couldn't grip the throw Chris Taylor said he was just trying to hit a single I don't know Um, he definitely placed it into the gap, but it didn't matter that it was in the gap because it went over everybody's head and over the wall for the second walk-off home run of all time, coming from a player who did not start the game in a winner-take-all game, the only other one game seven of the 2003 ALCS, Aaron Boone, who is the manager of the, well, they're out of the playoffs now, Yankees, uh, but... Really, a big moment for Chris Taylor, who ended the season on a, I believe, 8 or 9 for 72 streak. Uh, and Cody Bellinger, who, you know, had a rough season the whole year. His average never climbed above 200 since first few weeks of the year. Uh, and he had a pretty good game. I mean, he was 1 for 2 with 2 walks and also 2 stolen bases. And then Taylor came in with the big hit after he was, uh, after he was involved in a double switch to switch up where the pitcher spot was. Um, and... Dodgers used a bunch of position players, knowing that their pitchers weren't really available, uh, and they had a lot of them still on the. They had two of them still on the bench even after they did two or three double switches and three or four pinch hitters. Uh, so the Dodgers ended up clawing out that victory from the Cardinals. And I mean, I, I think the reason why I'm so calm when it comes to this is that we all know that should have happened. Uh, the Dodgers did not play as well as they could have. But the pitching did exactly what you'd think it would do against a lineup that's not not necessarily World Series quality. I think th- this is th- th- the Cardinals lineup recently at the end of the season was playing well and playing better than the combined talent they had. But they're still not a lineup on par with the Braves, the Giants, or the Dodgers. Maybe they're on par with the Brewers, but they're probably one of the weaker offensive teams in the playoffs. I wouldn't put them in a category with any of the AL, uh, rosters that are in the playoffs, including the ones who already got eliminated. Uh, so not an overall good offensive team to be quite honest. So I'm not too surprised that they kind of fizzled out with only one run in that game. I'm not too surprised that the bullpen gave up more than a starter did for the Cardinals. That's been the story of the year pretty much for them. Uh, and in the end, you know, that Alex Reyes curveball is, uh, going to go down in history as one of those two hits, like I said, and, uh, who cares about 9 for 72 or hitting 160 if you're going to do all this in the playoffs, right? And Cody Bellinger set up the win by finally being patient, something that he hadn't done all year and probably could have done a few other times uh, to to set the Dodgers up better in games. And then uh, obviously to tie the game at 1, you had Justin Turner's uh, now extended postseason record, franchise record for the Dodgers at 13 home runs. Uh, and really just, uh, it was a pitcher's duel other than that. Uh, and that was pretty much the story of that game.
0: Well, you said it. Uh, Dodgers got the big hit, and uh, it was one of those games where whichever team got the big hit first, it looked like they were going to win the game, and didn't happen till the bottom of the ninth, uh, but that's what happened. All right, let's stay in the National League and move over to the division series um, where the Brewers lead the Braves
1: 1-0. Only one game in the book so far, just this game that ended actually earlier today. Uh, two to one Milwaukee wins off of a Rowdy Tellez giant home run to center field. Uh, The Braves' only run of the game was a Jock Peterson solo shot, and uh, that says enough about the Braves' offense today. I mean, I talked about the fact that they're a team who could just, you know, put up 10 runs in one game and then kind of do anything for the rest of the postseason, and could end up losing to could end up losing to the Brewers because they get one game off of a lot of scoring, and they can't do anything else after that. But uh, they this was one of those games where they just did not do anything. Um, again, the only run they got was a solo home run from Jock Peterson, who was, mind you, not even a starter in this game. He was a pinch hitter, and honestly, you know they did import the four the four outfielders in the uh, in the middle of the season, but. Jock is the one who's most proven in the playoffs among all of them other than Jorge Soler. So I'm a little bit surprised that he didn't start, uh, especially because Jock kills fastballs and Corbin Burns throws a lot of fastballs. Uh, So I don't know what it was in the matchup. I don't know when he would play if he doesn't play against a righty that throws a lot of fastballs when what he's good at is crushing righties and crushing fastballs. Uh, and as you can see, it was him who did make the only offensive contribution, so it's clear that they could have played him, uh, and, you know, I'm not going to question it too much. There's obviously a method behind it, but his home run, his opposite field home run was the only score they got, uh, but that was after Rowdy Tellez's 411-foot monster home run to center field, and overall it doesn't matter because of that home run, that two-run home run. The Brewers did not even put a man in scoring position until after the two runs they scored and they did not score any runners from running, with runners in scoring position in this entire game. Uh, but that's what the Brewers do. They pitch and they get one home run, maybe two, maybe three, maybe a few singles and all of a sudden they beat you. So, I mean, th- this is what they're going to do all postseason uh, and if they can get any offense going, that's a scary team.
0: Braves got the uh, tying run to third base with two outs against Hayter and uh, couldn't, couldn't quite push across that tying run.
1: And fun fact, even after all those years and after having two full playoff series that were scoreless, that was actually his first career postseason save. Wow. Not a single time in the Dodger series, even pitching four games in the NLCS two years ago, did any of them count as a save, even though he gave up no runs in four games. So pretty interesting there. But, uh, yeah, that was a that was a good win by the Brewers, and I will say I think they can actually replicate that pitching performance. I mean, the hitting's got it; the hitting's got to tune up, but they can definitely replicate that pitching performance.
0: All right, well, uh, that was the first game, as you said earlier today, of the NL Division Series, which just kicks off action today. Dodgers Giants game starts tonight, so let's move over to the American League, starting with the American League Wild Card, which was on Tuesday when the Red Sox defeated the Yankees six to two.
1: You talked about the Dodgers-Giants series that starts tonight. Well, here's another iconic rivalry, probably the most iconic rivalry in baseball. Uh, The Red Sox and the Yankees. The Red Sox won 6-2. Really, the Yankees could not get anything going offensively other than Giancarlo Stanton getting a bunch of hits right off the monster, but none of them over the monster. And none of those hits that went off the monster scored any runs, so who really cares how far he hit them? Uh, Overall, they only got runs off of an Anthony Rizzo solo home run in the sixth inning when they were already down three to nothing, and then a solo home run by Stanton opposite field uh, when they were already down six to one in the top of the ninth. So Stanton got the three hits. He was three for four, but. Judge was one for four, Rizzo was one for four, and the rest of the lineup only had one single from Gio Urshela. So, overall, an awful performance by the Yankees hitting. And uh, even with the top three guys going a combined six for 12, when your starting pitcher gives up three earned runs in two innings, or in three innings, you're not going to win that game either. Um, And Garrett Cole was not sharp. He was not the $324 million man they paid him to be. But frankly, with how much money they spent elsewhere, I mean, their whole team, if you look at the Yankees' payroll, their payroll breakdown is basically Garrett Cole and a bunch of hitters. So the fact that they only mustered up two runs in this in this game is crazy. They traded for Rizzo and they traded for Gallo to make their lineup even better, even though that was never the problem of their team. Uh, and Sure, Rizzo got his home runs, so I guess you got your bang for your buck there. Um, but and Stanton, obviously, from a few years ago, that signing and same thing as Judge, his signing from a while ago, they both paid off. Obviously, Judge has been great for a while. But Gallo went over four, Glaber Torres went over four, Brett Gardner went over three. Rochelle only got the one hit I talked about. Kyle Higashioka they had as the personal catcher of Garrett Cole to make sure they were fine. Defensively, and obviously you're not expecting hits out of him, but he didn't get any. And then Gary Sanchez pinch hit didn't get any. Uh, and then they, they they just couldn't get anything going. I mean, no spot in the order other than one, two, and three did anything, and uh then they had the questionable decision to send Aaron Judge home on a ball off the wall that they never should have sent him home off of, and it could have been three to two. Uh, But they did not capitalize on an opportunity with a single by Judge and then a double by Stanton, although it might not have really been a double because uh, I think if they hadn't thrown the ball home, Stanton would have had to have held it first, but they still could have had first and third one out instead of man on second two outs. And then they ended the inning, so they got nothing out of it. Uh, The Red Sox in the bottom of that inning got an Alex Verdugo RBI double to push the lead to to 4-1, and then they got... Verdugo again, actually, the very next inning, getting, a, getting another two RBIs to really seal the game at 6-1, to one, and that Stanton home run in the ninth didn't mean anything.
0: Yeah, that uh, judge getting thrown off the plate was a real momentum killer. Potential turning point, but who knows? Um, all right, well, let's move over to the series that we knew before that wild card game. Um, in the AL Division Series, we knew that Houston was going to be playing the Chicago White Sox. Houston now leads that series 2-0.
1: Well, I said it before the series, uh, the White Sox don't play well on the road, and they don't play well against great teams, and both those things combined here. um, I will say I did pick the White Sox in my weekend predictions to win game one. However, I still believe they were going to lose in four games. Uh, Well, I still believe they were going to lose in five, as I said on the podcast, but as I got closer to it and after game one, I'm definitely leaning four games now. I think they can get one at home, but then I think the Astros will Shut the door closed before they let it uh, swing back open again. Uh, but Lance Lynn was just as not as good. I mean, the Astros crush fastballs, and Lance Lynn threw 94 of 96 pitches as fastballs, three different types of fastballs. But the Astros know how to crush all kinds of fastballs. And uh, I thought they were going to win that matchup because I thought power on power Lance Lynn would be able to overpower the Astros. Uh, because he's the only guy with experience, and that's the reason why I picked them in that game, because I figured if they were going to win a game, it would be because of the one uh, player on their team who has a lot of experience, that being Lance Lynn, uh, a lot of that experience with the Cardinals, so they don't win game one, they lose six to one, as I said, the Astros, uh, the Astros capitalizing off of Lance Lynn, not being as sharp as he always is, and uh, or sorry, not 94 of 96. Sorry, 74 of 76 pitches were fastballs. Uh, five earned runs given up, two walks, six hits given up. Not a strong start for the White Sox. And then it looked like they might have turned it around. They were losing two to one. They brought the game back to four to one, to four to two with a three-run fifth inning. And then they let the Astros right back in the game uh, in that second game of that series. Uh, and the Astros didn't look back from there. They scored two in the bottom of the fifth to tie the game at four and then scored five in the bottom of the seventh to push the lead to nine to four. Uh, Craig Kimbrell gave up runs here. A lot of guys gave up runs. So overall, no one to really blame. Uh, what You can't really blame one guy for the White Sox. The starting pitching has not been amazing, but it's not all their fault. And in the end, well... Uh, Lance McCullers outdid Lance Lynn. The Battle of the Lances, uh, the Astros' Lance won, <laughs> and that really is the difference in this series so far.
0: All right, well, let's move to the other series. As we mentioned, the Red Sox beat the Yankees in the wild card game to earn the right to face their uh, division rival and team with the best record in the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays lead that series 1-0 with the second game currently in progress.
1: The Tampa Bay fighting Randy Rosarinas, I believe you meant to say. Uh, well, they won that first game 5 to nothing. Randy Arozarena hit his 11th career postseason home run. Mind you, he hasn't even gotten any awards for his amazing rookie season yet uh, and already has 11 career postseason home runs because his, he made his debut last season in the playoffs and hit 10 home runs in the playoffs last year on their run to the World Series, which obviously we know they eventually lost to the Dodgers in six games. Um, But that was his run, and then this year he gets this one. But what's even crazier than his home run, he stole home in a playoff game. Mind you, after one of the major turning points, well, not turning points because the Dodgers really controlled the series throughout, but one of the major points that happened with the uh, with the Rays in that series against the Dodgers was that they tried to steal home in a game against the Dodgers and Manuel Margot tried it and Kershaw stepped off the mound through home. This time they ran the exact same play where you kind of creep up the line on the lefty. He can't see you. He's got his back turned to you. But in this series, it worked out perfectly for them. And uh, Josh Taylor, I believe, was the reliever he did not pick up that Randy Rosarina was stealing. He was looking away. His motion kind of leads him to not be able to see anything behind him, and he couldn't step off the mound and throw home in time, whereas Kershaw can seal over his shoulder a little bit better, and Max Muncie was pointing the third base uh, and pointing home to throw it home in that game with the Dodgers. So uh, a little bit of a flashback, but the Rays flip it around this time, and uh, really, I'm surprised they broke the play out in a game where they where they won by so much because, I mean... Why break it out right now? But uh, I get. I mean, I don't like putting things on. It's like a. It's like a, a college football team playing a D two team, and then putting something on film Troll with a trick play. play. Yeah, it's like why would There's you a do that situation.
0: now? Unique situation. You had. They were playing the shift. The third baseman was way off third base maybe it wasn't going to happen again
1: but they were already up four to nothing in the bottom of the seventh and the one thing that the rays are known to be actually great at is pitching so i thought that that just wouldn't be the best scenario and uh maybe it wasn't and i mean we'll see how it affects them later in the playoffs we'll see if they steal home again i bet that was a one-time thing and that's my other thing with it that was in a game that you were winning and now you can't pull it out when you actually need it later in the postseason but uh Look, I'm not going to bash the Rays for winning game one 5 to nothing over a team that pays their players $300 million more than they do. Uh, but, you know, the Rays are going to be the Rays. And right now, that second game, uh, in progress as we speak, late in the game, but uh, not, not late enough for us to start calling who's going to win.
0: Been a great back-and-forth game. All right, that wraps up our look back at uh, Major League Baseball playoff action so far. Now let's take a look back at the final statistical leaders for the season in each league.
1: Starting with the NL batting average leader, uh, we have Trey Turner. I think if you followed baseball this season, this one was uh, pretty, pretty obvious. Uh, 328, the second best was Juan Soto at 313 uh, and Bryce Harper at 309. Ironically enough, three years ago, these three were all in the same system with the Nationals, although I don't believe Juan Soto ever made his debut before Bryce Harper left uh, the Nationals, maybe in September call-ups for a few games one year. Uh, But... That is kind of ironic because now all three of them are on different teams. Obviously, Trey Turner did do some of his damage with the Nationals, but actually, his average did rise after he got traded to the Dodgers. His strongest part of the season was with the Dodgers, so technically, uh, he, he got the average lead because of that uh, that stint with the Dodgers. Uh, in the AL, it is Yuli Gurriel at three nineteen, then Michael Brantley in second at three eleven. And Vladimir Guerrero in third, well, I guess tied for a second with 311, although I think by tiny percentage points there is a difference here. And there was also someone else who had a 309 average, but it gets edged out by Bryce Harper probably by, you know, a few few tiny decimal places later down the line. Um, But Vladimir Guerrero, as we all know, was uh, trending towards maybe winning a triple crown for most of the years. So it's no surprise to see him in the top three for average. Uh, overall, the two Astros here just really shows the depth of their lineup because when you think of the Astros lineup, I would venture to guess that you wouldn't think of Yuli Guriel uh, as one of the big guys. I mean, obviously, Michael Brantley, I think, is one of those guys. Everybody knows him for keeping his high average. But I wouldn't say that uh, Guriel is one of those guys. And then on the other hand, you have Altuve and Correa and your Don Alvarez and Kyle Tucker also in this lineup. The Astros are crazy. That's the reason why they are at why they got the second seed in the AL because that lineup is just really 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 good. Uh then for the NL on base percentage leaders, it was actually not Trey Turner. Actually, he's not even anywhere in the top 3. Uh, Juan Soto with a 465 on base percentage led the NL uh, and the majors overall too. Bryce Harper was second at 429, so obviously those guys taking more walks, intentional walks. You see a lot of guys pitching around those two a lot more, whereas Trey Turner is so aggressive that you don't really, you don't really get the opportunity to pitch around him. To be quite honest, he'll swing at it even if you're trying to pitch around him. Uh, then you have Freddie Freeman at a 393 on-base percentage in third. A lot of great Braves hitters. A very formidable lineup, as we'll see in some other categories later in this uh, breakdown. And then in the AL, you have Vladimir Guerrero, who led on base percentage, but not average if only on base percentage was the Triple Crown, but it's not. Uh, then you have Yuli Gurriel at 383, the batting average leader. You'd expect to see those guys on the on-base percentage list, although obviously not the case for Trey Turner. Uh, and then you have Yohan Mankata on the White Sox, hitting 375. So overall, you, I, I think this list was honestly more surprising than the average list to me. Uh I guess Vladimir Guerrero being high on the on-base percentage list isn't isn't that surprising to me, but for Yuli Gurriel to still maintain uh, his average in the on-base category, and then also for Yon Mancada to sneak up this list, even though I think his average is somewhere in the two hundreds and the I mean maybe in the two eighties, but not even in the low three hundreds, it is it is very surprising. Um, but in the NL for hits, you had Trey Turner at one ninety-five, uh, Freddie Freeman at one eighty. And Austin Riley at 179. In the AL, you have Bo Bichette, actually, at 191 hits. Then you have Vladimir Guerrero at 188 hits. And then Whit Merrifield at 184. So three all-stars there, but uh, none of them, I mean, only Vladdy uh, really contending for the uh, batting average and on base, Bob and Whit Merrifield mostly coming because I believe they're leadoff hitters, and at least they both hit first, or they, they've at least both hit first and second for most of the year. So more hits and more at bats. For the AL home run leads, you actually have a tie between Vladimir Guerrero and Salvador Perez at 48. Obviously, as we know, uh, Salvador Perez set a record for primary catchers and uh, home runs in a season. At 48, Vladimir Guerrero did. Uh, You know, had a great season, almost contended for the Triple Crown, did not quite get there. Uh, This was the category that he actually led out of all of them. He did not lead any others, but he was pretty close to it. Uh, And then you have Shohei Otani in third at 46, who really had a huge enough lead on both of those guys that you thought that he was going to win it. And ironically enough, uh, he actually is the one that ends up in third with Perez and Guerrero both tying for first. For the NL home run leads, you have uh, Fernando Tatis at 42 in the lead, so a a little bit of a a smaller number to get to than it was in the AL by uh, 6, actually. Then you have Adam Duvall with 38 home runs, uh, played for Miami for most of the season, then got traded to Atlanta as part of that outfield redo in the second half of the year. Uh, he had 38 this year, and then you have the home run king, the home run derby king, whatever you want to call him, the best power hitter like he calls himself. Uh, Pete Alonzo, the only hitter that exists in the Mets lineup, uh, 37 home runs on the year, pretty much produced all of their runs this season. Um, but that is what you have for the home run leaders in the NL. Uh, in RBIs in the NL, you have Adam Duvall, as I just mentioned, on the home runs lead with 113 RBIs. Then you have Austin Riley with 107, and Ozzy Albies with 106.
0: The Atlanta Braves showing up.
1: Yeah, all of the Atlanta Braves, as I said, they are a team who can hit a lot. I've, I said the same thing about, uh, or I said it earlier with uh, the Astros lineup, and uh, these aren't even the main guys you'd expect in the uh, in the Braves lineup. I'd actually have more fear put into me if I was facing Jorge Soler or Freddie Freeman than these three, to be quite honest. Maybe not Ozzie Albies, but um regardless it just shows how deep the Braves lineup is they really are the Astros of the NL uh they just have a little bit of uh, stiffer competition to go up against especially uh with the Dodgers and the Giants playing in that series so for the AL RBI leader we have Salvador Perez at 121 Jose Abreu at 117 and Teoscar Hernandez at 116 Vladi getting 111 so that he he fell short of the triple crown by quite a few, uh, stat categories, but actually when you look at the season, Salvador Perez did take two of the three parts of the triple crown. It's just that he was nowhere close to it in average. I think he hit in the two, I think he hit about 280. So there was never a point where anybody talked about him as a contender for it, but the home run and RBI numbers are enough to say that he's a very, very, uh, a very, very great hitter. Uh, and he had a really, really, really good season this year. And for you not can't so take good team. yeah for a not so good team, which probably means it's not going to garner many MVP votes because uh, he somehow was on a team that was even worse than the Angels with a star player on their team. Um, but and that's only for Shohei. And then you know Vladdy will get the votes from almost taking his team into the wild card game, pretty much carrying them there. Uh, so you get Perez there, and now we will move on. To the pitching stats, unless you want to say any final things about the hitters and the lineups this year,
0: no, I, I think it's no coincidence, and we'll see in the pitching stats too. That a lot of these players with the top stats are uh, are on playoff teams, and then it's weird you've got a bunch of guys from playoff teams, and it seems like you've guys, some guys who just were some teams that didn't do too well.
1: Well, and I think one surprising thing actually that I would like to say is that there was not a single fifty home run hitter this year. Uh, after you had some guys who hit like twenty in a sixty game season nobody hit 50 in 162 games, maybe it was the wear and tear on people's bodies over a whole season that they didn't have enough left in the tank to keep hitting home runs for a while, Salvador Perez definitely did, Uh, maybe that's from putting him at DH for a few games, but even Shohei kind of ran out of gas a little bit at the end, I think he had 45 or 44 with two or three or four weeks left in the season, then really just kind of slowed down, didn't hit any, and all of a sudden ended up in third, so uh, I think that was a little bit surprising, and also, Fernando Tatis with a full season probably would have ended up with 50, yeah. um, but especially the role he was on right before he got injured. I believe he hit something like five run, five home runs in three or so games right before he uh, went on the IL first. So it's possible that he could have gotten there. But, uh, yeah, the injuries and then uh, just overall, I guess, somehow even in the home run hitting era, it's more all over the roster as opposed to your top power guys getting better. But, yeah. Uh, Stanton went on a run that at the end of the year, if he had had that for the whole season, he also would have hit 50. But he only had it for a very small portion of the season, about 15 games, and only ended up with, I think, 38 or 39, something like that. So, uh, yeah, none of the big power hitters really came to play this year. And then Salvador Perez ends up carrying the load for the, uh, for the leader overall.
0: Yeah, maybe also a little surprising given the focus on uh, making sure pitchers weren't doctoring the ball. Maybe people thought home run numbers were going to go up. Um, like you said, Tatis probably would have gotten there had he been healthy, but, uh, let's see maybe how the pitching, the changes of the, uh, monitoring the pitchers, make sure they weren't doctoring the ball impacted pitching stats.
1: Well, in the NL, it seemed to have a high impact on it. Uh, but in the, or actually I guess in the NL pitchers stayed the same, but in the AL, uh, they had some, uh, they, they did not have many, uh, great pitchers in terms of ERA when you start to look at it. And that's what we'll look at it. What, what we'll look at first. Three guys in the Cy Young race that are all in the two fours for ERA uh, this year for the two best pitching staffs in baseball, arguably the Brewers and the Dodgers, at least starting pitching wise. Corbin Burns with a 2.43 ERA, Max Scherzer with a 2.46, and his teammate Walker Buehler 2.47 ERA. So uh, by the traditional stats, the Dodgers, you can see the effect of the trade deadline, got the average leader and the second and the guy who finished second in ERA, uh, Pretty good trades, if you ask anybody, honestly. Yeah. Um, but then Walker Buehler obviously was the ace for the team throughout the year. And overall, I mean, three guys in the two-fours range is pretty good. I mean, Jacob DeGrom would have led this by a mile if he had gotten the full season under his belt. His year ended in, I think, 1.5 or 1.6. Uh, and it was through a pretty good portion of the season. I don't think he was slowing down. I mean, no one said that Jacob DeGrom was easy to hit, and no one ever, said, and no one ever will say that. Uh, so he probably could have gotten there, and he probably would have been the runaway Cy Young. But he did get injured, so instead you got these guys instead. And Corbin Burns had a great season, and I mean, Max Scherzer was Max Scherzer. And Walker Buehler has really turned into what the Dodgers always thought he could become and really what he started to be in the postseason last year.
0: Yep, he's the future ace of the staff. Uh, wants, we'll see, see, how, see if Scherzer comes back and Kershaw getting hurt. We'll see, and, and Bauer having his issues. Um, they're resting their future rotation. They're, they're resting it on the foundation of Walker Buehler.
1: Uh, and then in the AL, you have one guy who had a sub-3 ERA for the whole season. That was Robbie Ray, as you know, my Cy Young pick, uh, with a 2.84 ERA. Then you have Lance McCullers, 3.16 ERA for the Astros, and Garrett Cole, 3.23 ERA for the Yankees. Uh, as we know, Yankees uh, got out of the playoffs when... Mr. 3.23 ERA gave up three runs in two innings.
0: Yeah, he had a tough stretch run in there in a tough playoff game.
1: Yeah, and uh, that ended their season. And then Lance McCullers for the Astros was quite the opposite. Uh, Robbie Ray never got the opportunity because the <laughs> the Blue Jays didn't make the playoffs. But uh, Lance McCullers was the opposite. He pitched a shutout in his playoff appearance for the Astros. And uh, he might not even get an opportunity to pitch again in that series because they might sweep it before it even gets back to him in the rotation uh, but if he well, does, he I'm sure he'll deliver. Yeah, sure. he will pitch again in the postseason, 100%. Uh, and if he does pitch again in this series, I bet he'll deliver. In strikeouts, you also had the overall innings pitched leader for the whole league. Uh, but in the NL for strikeouts, you had Zach Wheeler with 247. Uh, as we'll see in a little bit, uh, he had that number ends up being unfortunate and will probably haunt him for his career. Uh, but there's a reason for that. Then you have Max Scherzer with 236. Again, this is how close the Cy Young race is. Guess who's third? It's Corbin Burns at 234. So you have a total difference in the two leading candidates with .03 earned runs per game uh, and two strikeouts on the whole year. So uh, you take your pick. You tell me who's going to win the Cy Young. I don't really know. Uh, it was Burns as of a few weeks ago for me, but uh, you know it could be Scherzer too, especially because the Dodgers, like we said, uh, on the final day of the season, they had a chance to rough up Burns and bring up his ERA. They did. It was, it was miles ahead of uh, Scherzer and Bueller. It was in the 2-2s, two I believe, and then all of a sudden it got up to 2-4. Now he's in the same ballpark as Scherzer and as Bueller. Uh, that Cy Young race got a lot more interesting. Uh, but we'll have to see what happens there. But, you know, Zach Wheeler, congratulations for uh, leading the league in strikeouts. And in the AL, the reason why I said 247 would be a number to haunt Zach Wheeler, the overall strikeouts leader in the MLB is Robbie Ray with 248. Uh, Right one strikeout above Zach Wheeler. There's probably a dropped foul tip somewhere in there that he's upset about now and probably probably making some jokes about with his catchers. Probably a 3-2 pitch here or there that didn't go his way. Uh, maybe a little tiny foul ball, a little tiny piece of a ball that somebody got that probably went about two feet and ended up as a ground out instead of a strikeout. Uh, But all those things can happen, and yet still no one cares because, well, you only care who actually ended with the lead. That was Robbie Ray. And in second, uh, that was Garrett Cole. Then in third, Dylan Cease at 226 for the White Sox. We might see him in the playoffs, although... It's possible he doesn't pitch if Carlos Rodon pitches uh, game three for the White Sox. In that case, Cease would be a bullpen option or most likely the starter for game four. Uh, And I don't know that they would want to burn him in the bullpen, but they might have to if their season is on the line. Um, But overall, you can see the high strikeout season for everybody there. Uh, And then in wins, you had overall in the whole league, Julio Urias with 20 wins. Adam Wainwright, who pitched in the wildcard game, with 17. A lot of wildcard game pitchers, by the way, in these stat leaders. Um, And then you have Walker Buehler with 16. So two of those for the Dodgers, uh, one for the Cardinals. Wainwright was really great at the end of the year, and that was pretty good timing for him because that was when his team started to pick it up. Uh, So even if he was better in the early season, he still probably wouldn't have gotten many more wins just because, well, his team wasn't really scoring enough to pick them up for him. Uh, But in the second half of the year, he could give up two or three and still win comfortably. Uh, He even gave up three or four sometimes in one games, but uh, he didn't do that much. And then when he didn't, his team was able to get just the one or two that they needed to uh, pull out the wins. Uh, And then in the AL, you have, and by the way, Julio Arias, the only guy with 20 wins. Uh, Obviously, there was no one last year who did it because of the shortened season, but also no one in 2019. So the first 20 win starting pitcher since twenty eighteen. Yet
0: he doesn't appear on any of their lists, which tells you that he, you know, probably got a lot of run support.
1: Uh yeah, he did. And uh he won't be really in any he won't be in any serious scion contention, although He'll probably get some well. yeah, down the ballot votes. Yeah, but he won't. He won't get any. As a, I, I, don't think he'll get many first place votes. Uh, I think maybe some people will value the wins. But his ERA, I mean, he has two teammates with better ERAs than him, which is probably the only thing holding him back. Maybe if he played for a different team that made the playoffs, if you switched him and like Charlie Morton or something, and all of a sudden the Braves had an ace with that was Julio Arias, who led the league in wins and had the same stats. Then maybe he could be a candidate, but he's really just overshadowed by his own teammates. I bet he'll finish fourth or fifth, though. Uh, mo- most most wins leaders finish at least top five. Most of them top three, uh, but maybe not this year. Then in the AL, you have Garrett Cole with 16. That's part of his case for the Cy Young. Although I still have it, I still have to give it to Robbie Ray, but uh, that is part of his case. Chris Flexen from the Seattle Mariners with 14, a very, very, very surprising uh, wins leader, especially or, or second place in wins, especially considering that the Mariners were kind of up and down. They had that really bad run differential all year. So you'd think that he'd have to pitch really, really well to actually allow them, uh, or to actually allow himself to pick up many wins that this year, and uh, he did. Then you have Hyunjin Ryu, who did not have his typical year in terms of ERA or anything like that, but still enough to get 14 wins on a very, very, very good Blue Jays team, although they couldn't do the same for Robbie Ray. (laughs) Um, Then moving on to the final category, what better stat to close it out than the stat that's that's reserved for the closers? Uh, In the NL, you had Mark Melanson of the San Diego Padres at 39 saves as the overall leader. Kenley Jansen with 38 as second place overall. And then, Will, well, tied for second place overall, second place in the NL. Then you have Will Smith, no, not the catcher on the Dodgers, the closer for the Braves, who, well, he had a home run hit off of him by Will Smith of the Dodgers last year in the postseason, <laughs> um, funny enough. But he finishes third with 37, so all closers on, uh, well, I was going to say all closers on playoff teams, but the leader himself actually is not on the playoff team most of his saves were very, very early in the year. I believe he had 29 by the time of the All-Star break, if I recall correctly. And then as they lost more games, he didn't, I mean, he didn't really have an opportunity to get any saves when the team wasn't winning games. Um, But after their terrible post-All-Star break performance, he didn't really, uh, he probably could have gotten 40 if he was on a different team, maybe even 45, probably close to 50. Mark Melanson pitched a lot this year. I can say that for sure about him, that Uh, Regardless of how he pitched, regardless of if he might have blown a save or two, uh, he definitely pitched back-to-back games a lot. Uh, Kenley Jansen had more time off as the Dodgers were kind of always gearing up for playoff mode for the whole season. Uh, But then in the AL, you have Liam Hendricks, had a few blown saves towards the end of the year, but 38 overall to lead the AL and to also tie for second with Kenley Jansen overall in the MLB with 38 saves. Then you have Rysel Iglesias on the Angels, which is really surprising because that team never really hit its stride, and yet still they had a, a guy second in saves. It uh, says a lot about him with 34 saves. Then you had a this Chapman who, even though he spent some time on the IL, he was still trusted a lot by the Yankees earlier in the season, and they really didn't have another closer late. So even as he came back, he ended up with 30 saves. Uh, a lot of better closers in the National League, though, than the American League. Uh, the, the, the guys that are even on fourth and fifth place were better than the guys who better than the guy who finished second in the AL uh, but a lot of great closers in the NL and the AL kind of plays that different style of more hitting focus than pitching focused and as you can see I mean look at the home runs look at the ERA look at the RBIs there's a lot more hitting in the AL than in the NL uh, especially if you were to take out the Braves <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you can even see how it reflects in the win totals, right? Not as many starting pitchers last as long and get as many wins, and the American League, cause are just not in the game or the other team comes back because of all the hitting.
1: And Garrett Cole, I mean, he probably could have had two more wins if he, if the fourth-place team in his division wasn't one of the best offensive teams in baseball and was more an actual fourth-place team, like a Miami Marlins, like a Colorado Rockies, or, uh, or maybe even somebody like the Cubs by the end of this year, so... uh yeah, I mean, I agree with you. There's uh, there, there are definitely reasons to it that go deeper than just better hitting and better pitching uh, for one league than the other. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I, I think I'm not surprised to see that, especially because the DH rule exists, that you'll always get more guys on base when you have a guy who's only focused on hitting. Uh, Salvador Perez probably would have taken more games off as a catcher if it weren't for the DH, and instead of taking games off, he just took games where he didn't play as a catcher and just DH that game, uh, which... Guys in the National League don't have the option of doing, uh, so they just have to take full-off days, which probably contributes to some of this. And, uh, yeah, Garrett Cole actually really had some tough times against the Blue Jays this year, uh, just the whole year, which is why he probably didn't have enough wins. We talked about that just being because they're a way better fourth-place team, but that's really reflected across all of the AL, that there's just that one extra hitter. There's never the hole where you can just intentionally walk the eighth hitter, get to the nine hitter, and get an easy out of the inning. Uh, there's never a chance where you can have nine-one-two 2 leading off and you have an automatic out in the 9 spot. Obviously, they're not your best hitters in the 9 spot, but they're still tougher outs than pitchers are. So that does lend itself to more hitting and thus lower ERAs for those pitchers, or higher ERAs for those pitchers, I guess, um, in the AL and then less wins.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see if we get the universal DH next year in Major League Baseball. Very we'll
1: heavily get... rumored thing and we'll see if the stats even out because it, of that.
0: We'll be able to see, what, see it at the end of next year if that happens because... That wraps up our look back at this year's regular season of Major League Baseball. It also ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, October 11th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and discuss the weekend's college football and NFL action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB Power Rankings and his predictions of the entire college football and NFL seasons on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.